you heard the message to do it. And if you didn't, uh, I, I pray that you will be motivated. What's important in our life, we, we make time for, don't we? And if prayer is important, we want to make time for it. We want to schedule it so that at that time we meet with the Lord. So I hope that uh, becomes important to you. Let me tell you what Karen and I, Karen is in the back. I, we belong to each other. Wave, Karen. She's got little Judah there, grandson. I'll tell you what, Karen and I pray for you more than anything else. That God will put men and women together. And that men will fall in love with women. And that they will find out that, yes, you are clapping, Ben and Sarah. They found each other, and, and uh, this was part of the reason. This was part of the place. Yes. So we are all for that. We're for, we're, for, we're for single life, and we're for married life. We're for men talking to women, and we're for women <laughs> talking to men. And we're, we're, for, uh, we're for love to happen. Uh, it, uh, the California Lutheran Bible School used to be called the California Lutheran Bridal School <laughs> because things happened there at that school. And so we're praying that things like that will happen here as well. And as they do, we will clap, we will shout, we will rejoice because... Bible says that he that finds a wife finds a good thing. So, guys, go looking, man. Okay. The women are clapping. Okay. I've got a prayer list. I keep it in my Bible. And I want to share with you tonight that something is on my list that only got there maybe a couple months ago. But now I thank God for this almost every day, sometimes several times a day. It's, uh, I begin with a time of praise, and that's what I thank God for. What do I thank God for? Trials. Trials. I thank God for trials. And I'll tell you why, because, and I also thank God for tension, tension. because I've uh, come, come to understand how good tension is, what a wonderful gift it is, and I, how much we can learn from tension and from trials. Hadn't done this until just recently. But in the last year, I've been studying more about trials, and I've come to see what I didn't know and therefore did not apply regularly for many years. I say to my own shame, in fact, I want to say, Father, I am sorry for all the trials that I did not thank you for. I'm, I'm sorry for the trials that I had for most of my life that I failed to respond with joy to. My goal for you tonight is that as I share this, you will come to a new place 
of victory. What gets us down is not the good things. It's the hard things. It's the trials. And they can discourage us. Well, what if instead of getting discouraged, we got elated? What if another one comes along and we say, oh, wonderful, God's going to do something special in my life. Satan would get discouraged. He would be the one that would be discouraged. So that's my hope for you today. (coughs) James, he doesn't take very much time to get started. Paul takes a long time to get started. Have you ever noticed how, how long it takes Paul sometimes to get going? I mean, he starts in and he, start, he gives a, a benediction and he gives a greeting. And you don't know this in the English, but in Ephesians, it's an, a run-on sentence for many verses without any period. He's just going and going, and then he gets to his point. James doesn't do that at all. I mean, he's, he comes right in with the punch right away brother of Jesus, and so we're going to get his first punch where he says, right from the start, consider it pure joy. Count it joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete Lacking in, I'd like that. I'd like to be lacking in nothing. Now, it's important that you understand something. You're taking a risk by listening to this word. As I took a risk by listening to words that I didn't apply, the Bible says, "Be doers of the word and not hearers only." The next phrase is, "Deceiving yourselves." So if we hear this tonight and don't do it, there's a deception that comes upon us because we figure, I've heard it, therefore I'm doing it. And to to know and not to do is not to know. And so we need to be doers of the word. And so what I'm sharing to you tonight, I'm trusting that you will do it even tonight. In fact, I want you to do something now for me. I want you to think in your mind, what is one of the greatest trials that you've gone through? One of the greatest tests? Let's think of a variety. Of, it could be a relational test. It could be a financial test. It could be a health test. It could be a test of endurance. It could be a family test. But think it through. I want you to be thinking of something. It may be one that you're in now. Maybe you're in the greatest test of your life now. Praise God. You're ready for a... a a victory and an upgrade, I hope. So think for a moment. And then think, how did I respond to that? What, how did I, or am I responding to this test? Am I Just hoping to get past it. Uh, Am I trying to hold it off? Uh, How am I responding? Am I asking people to help me? Am Am I praying with others? Because I want you to do the word. It says in... 
where was it? Um, Matthew 7:23, where Jesus is talking about kinds of houses. And he says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built a house on the rock. And the storm comes, and the one who has practiced the word, who's put it into practice, his, his house stays strong. But the one who hasn't learned to apply the word, who doesn't live it, when the storm comes, he doesn't last. The house collapses. If you are hearing the word and not applying it, when things get storm in your life, you won't last. Simply because you have not applied the word. It says in Hebrews that uh, we, we um, discern both good and evil. I'm not quoting the verse. I'm not quoting the whole verse. But uh, solid food is for the mature who have exercised their senses to discern both good and evil. So we're exercising ourselves. We're making a decision. I'm going to apply this. I'm going to step into it. And then God builds strength into our heart that enables us to resist. But if we are not people who apply the word, it's not enough to read it. We apply the word of God. We have strength. We have character. So, count it all joy. When you thought you were going to get a D and you got an A. Count it all joy. Count it all joy when you fall in love with somebody and find out that they're in love with you. Count it all joy. Go ahead. Do your best to count that joy. Count it all joy when your car breaks down, but your parents who just received an inheritance, decide to buy you a $30,000 vehicle, count it all joy. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, can you do it? Yeah. Count it all joy, and your boss says, you've been working so hard, you get three weeks paid vacation to the Bahamas. Count it all joy. <laughs> you able to do that now? Are you able to count those things joy? Okay. That's that's. Good. Now, count it all joy when somebody that you called a friend gossips about you and it hurts your reputation. Count it joy. Count it joy when your boss at work criticizes you criticizes you in front of a couple other workers, and it really embarrassed you. In fact, it humiliated you. Count it joy. Count it joy when the job that you thought you were going to get, you didn't get, and somebody that was kind of a competitor of yours got the job. Count that joy. How are we doing? See, any, anyone can count joy, joy, when there's plenty of reason for joy. But it takes someone full of the Spirit of God and someone who sees beyond the situation to look up in heaven. It takes that kind of person 
to count it joy when you have to come with the opposite spirit, when you have to come against something and it seems strange. And so when we read James, we almost just read over it fast because we hardly know anybody who's living that way. And when we read Paul, who says that that is why I delight in insults, in persecution. He doesn't say, I, am, I endure it. I, I, I delight. I take joy in it. Who is he? What kind of person is he? Is this some elite group of Christians? No, James said the same thing. Count it joy when you face various trials, knowing that the testing of faith produces patience. So that's what we're going after tonight. We're going after the kind of standard Christianity 101. Here's, here's where he started. Here's where James started, the brother of Jesus. Okay, for starters, we're going to take difficult tests, and we're going to embrace them at the outset as joy. So that's what we're going after tonight. We're talking about an attitude. That's what it is. We had a girl that lived in our home once, some time ago. She came home, and she was sharing about something that happened in school that was very difficult for her. My kids were out on the deck, and I could hear them commiserating with her about this difficult situation. When she came in, I said, hey, could we talk together? And uh, she said, sure. I said, you've got two alternatives. She said, what do you mean? I said, you can, you can gather support for this person who has been unkind to you and share it with people who will then build your case you can commiserate and feel good about the fact. Or you can say, God, you're doing something so good. It must be good because it doesn't feel good. It must be good because it's really hard for me right now. I wasn't trying to put her down or something. It was hard. She explained it. I thought it was unjust. I said, what if you rise above this and instead of gathering your support, you have one person will support you, and that's Jesus. He's a good lawyer. The Bible says he will defend. Unless you want to defend yourself, you can defend yourself. But otherwise, Jesus will defend you. And you know what you get if you respond rightly to injustice? Who's the person in the New Testament, perverse, who talks more about suffering than any other person? You know? Perverse, Peter. Peter is the one who opened his mouth when he shouldn't have and was trying to keep Jesus from suffering. And Jesus rebuked him by saying, get behind me, Satan. You're putting a stumbling block in my way. Jesus is going to the cross. He said, he just had told him that he's going to start suffering. And Peter said, no, this will never happen to you. Get, get away from me. Get behind me. Peter learned. 
Peter got the message so much that in 1 Peter, he talks about suffering in every chapter, all five chapters, sometimes for most of the chapter, and talking about how wonderful what God can teach us in the midst of suffering. And he says, don't think it's strange, my brothers. The testing of your faith, and it's the testing, it's, it's the fire, the perosis, it's the fiery trial that comes upon you as though something strange were happening to you. And he has the same response as James. He says it's time to rejoice in those situations. So I shared with this friend, and she embraced it, and God worked in a good way in the situation, took care of it, but also took care of something in her. It's all about attitude. God loves the right attitude. And God, let me tell you, he hates a bad attitude. You know how bad he hates it? Children of Israel, it says in Deuteronomy that God was sending him through the wilderness to test him. God loves to test us. He gives us tests. And God was sending him through the wilderness, Deuteronomy 8. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what is in your heart, whether or not you should keep his commandments. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers known to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. What we learn in times of testing is to be fed from what comes out of the mouth of God. So to look up toward heaven, away from our situation, they never got it. Sad. Because they were going into their inheritance. They were going in to possess what God had prepared for them. They never made it, that generation. God finally got so fed up with them because all they could do was grumble and complain about their situation. Hey, wouldn't you, if you've been walking for three days and you run out of water and you come upon a place, it's a lake, and you find out it's bitterness, wouldn't you? In the, what do you expect? I'll tell you what God expects. God expects us to look up and say, okay, what are you going to do now? It says in John that God, that Jesus was testing. Oh, can't remember which disciple it was now. He was testing him, John. Uh, yes, I'll, I'll hold it up here. He said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, only to test him. To see how, what was in his heart. To see how he's going to respond. Jesus likes to give us pop quizzes. For he already had in mind what he was going to do. So what did Philip do? Philip got out his calculator. And, and checked to see if he had enough to make a go of it. And he said, we don't have enough. I mean, we, we, we need uh, X months of dollars and we, we just don't have it. They hit upon test after test, and they complain. And finally God said, that's it. 
you're not going in. I want to go into my inheritance. And my desire for you is that you go into your inheritance. And the best way to do it is have an attitude that pleases God, that responds to God in the face of adversity, that trusts him, that says, you're better than my circumstance. You're higher than my circumstance. Lift up my head so that I can see what you are doing, so I can see you on the throne, so that I'm upgraded in my understanding of your sovereign purposes, that you take evil and turn it for good, that you turn situations around, that you are so creative that you take a situation that Joseph is in and you turn it around. You meant it for evil, Joseph said, but God meant it for good. What an attitude. What an attitude. He could have been such a victim. He was shipped away by his brothers. It was good for him. I mean, he had the coat. He had his father's friendship. And he might have been thinking, boy, do I have it good. Whoa. He shouldn't have, shouldn't have put the coat on. Who never heard from God? Joseph. Well, he got the dreams, and the dreams were true. The dreams were from God. That's true. And still he had a good attitude. That's very true. Yeah. He, he believed in God's sovereignty even though he didn't see it. And so God prepared his heart through the affliction. Do you know how Jesus learned obedience? Hebrews says he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. So we're not any different from Jesus. We learn through the things that are hard for us. And if our attitude is one of proper response like Joseph's was, so that by the time his brothers came, his heart was so tender. There was no bitterness there. He could have been getting bitter all that time. He could have, he could have sent them to prison. And, and that's what you might expect for a brother who's been sailed down the river, and then he was framed by Potiphar's wife. And Potiphar, what an idiot for not knowing. I, you know, he didn't know. And then he's in prison ag again, and uh, he, he helps this guy interpret his dream. And he says, please report me because I'm here unjustly. He wasn't, he wasn't, uh, 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 anyway, he stayed two more years. Imagine, you think you're going to get out, and then you stay that many more days. That was hard. Joseph had it hard, but he had a right attitude toward God. And God used him and said, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready now. And he made him the most powerful man in the world, second to the king. So it's worth it. God wants to do a, a, a good work in your life, and it's about attitude. Your altitude. Your, your attitude determines your altitude. A response of joy in difficult situations pleases God. Picture Paul, this guy who, who said, I, I delight in insults. I delight in criticism. He wasn't just making that up. He truly did. So here he is. He's been beaten up in Philippi. And now he's thrown into the prison in the back of it, and he's in stocks. What would you do? If you had been beaten up, you have the wounds to prove it because the next morning they washed his wounds, it says. So you've got wounds to show, a rugged beating, and you're, you're in stocks, hard to sleep. So what would you do? Well, he leans over to, to uh, 
Silas. So you know any good choruses? What, what could we sing? So they started singing. And God loves that kind of outlook so much that he, he just shook that place. Now here's something really telling. If you were in prison unjustly and God shakes the prison and the doors open up, what would you think? We're out of here. Praise the Lord. He, he opened the place up. We're out of here. But Paul didn't do that. He said, stay put, people. We've got business. He was so open to the Spirit of God. He wasn't being feisty. He wasn't saying, hey, I deserve better than this. I'm going to pass all. He's saying, I'm here for you, God, whatever business you have. And God says, I got business with that prison manager. He's, okay, gotcha. We'll stay right here. Oh, my. Don't you want to be that way? Don't you want to respond to hardship? instead of respond as a victim. We may have a few victims here tonight. A victim is one who sees the situation and says, no, this shouldn't happen to me. That's the guy at the pool of Bethesda. Jesus says, do you want to be healed? Now, that's a strange thing to ask somebody who has been paralyzed for decades why did Jesus ask him? I'll tell you why I asked him, because he was a victim. Instead of saying, yes, praise the Lord, I do. Are you the one? Wonderful. Let's get on with it. Put your hands on me. He said, I don't have anybody to put me in the pool. And I just read between the lines, and I hear a victim who's saying, people don't even care about me. I'm paralyzed. Can't they see? The stupid water troubles. Why didn't somebody put me in before somebody else? They all get in there ahead of me. With all the luck I have, I'll probably never get out of here. That's his attitude. Jesus pulls a rug out from underneath him. He heals him. <laughs> no more excuses. And then he finds him later, and this shows you his attitude. And I've never said this someone this to a person after they've been healed stop sinning or something worse is going to happen to you in other words change the way you think brother change your outlook you're not a victim we can have an entitlement outlook I, i'm entitled to, to more i'm entitled to better and it can affect our attitude and we can we can complain look at david here david is and things have opened up for him. He's defeated Goliath, and he's a hero. And they're singing national folk songs about David. You want to hear it in Hebrew? Hey, Kiv Shaul Ved David Hey, Kiv Shaul, Saul has slain his thousands, and David is ten thousands. Now, picture a father hearing that. What would a father say? Praise the Lord, that's what I've always wanted. I want my kids to go past me. I want David to go past me. He didn't have a father. He had a competitor. And so when Saul heard the songs, he got angry. And the next 12 years, 
David's thinking, oh my, I'm about there. I've been anointed. I slain the giant. I'm playing for the king. Uh-uh. You're running from a mad monarch. That's what you're doing. And in the process, God is putting something in your heart that can't come into your heart any other way except by suffering. Because you're not ready to rule a nation. But you will be when I get done training you. And God trains us through hardship. And if we complain, who are we talking to? Who are we criticizing? Who are we mouthing off at? Do we really want what he's got to give us? How soft are we? If the going gets tough and then we start complaining, David is writing these psalms in the midst of his sorrow. And I'm not making light of difficult sorrow. Some of you have had extreme sorrow. I'm, I don't want to make light of that as if, hey, smile a while. Let's be happy. Let's be giddy. It's deeper than that. Today I read uh, a book that uh, from a, the girl who mentored, the lady who mentored Beth Redman, Diane Schneider. She's a friend of ours. She mentored Beth. Diane, you are such a treasure in my life. It always reminds me when I see you how good and faithful God is and how kind and faithful you are. You will always be in my heart. That's, uh, uh, what's this guy's name that read this, wrote this book? Matt Redman. You heard of Ra Matt Redman before? Blessed be your name. Okay. I'll read some things from it at the end. But he talks about suffering. He talks about God working. When, what does it say in that song? When the road, pardon, is marked by suffering. Yeah, his dad died when he was young, real young. He didn't know until a little later that he committed suicide. And it put some questions in his mind. Didn't he love us? Did I have a part to play in that? And then his mom remarried. Not a very good choice. They had to dismiss that father from the scene. Matt didn't have it easy. You know, when people say, I wish I had what he has. Well, maybe you don't want what he had to get to where he's at. Maybe you don't want what Joseph had to go through to become a second most powerful man on the face of the earth. Maybe you don't want the anointing that David had as the greatest king of all Israel. How many years of suffering did he have? At least 12 where he was chased around by a mad monarch and wondering if he was going to lose his life more than once. says, it's almost over, but my heart is turned to you. And God was softening him and giving him an outlook that knew God was greater than any circumstances he faced. And so he had an attitude that was so uh, honoring to the Lord that Scripture says, what does it say about David? Man after God's heart. He knew God in a way that very few people have. And God used suffering to do it. So, consider it pure joy. When you have various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces. It says, whenever... 
in James 1. If you got your Bibles there. It's not if, it's whenever. We actually have lots of trials. Rick Warren says we're either coming toward one, we're in the midst of one, or going out the other end. Isn't that true? I mean, we're just, we have lots of trials in our life. We have relational trials. We have health issues. We have financial issues. We have personal issues that we struggle with inside of us. That the combination of them really can work us over. And he says, whenever, because we're not to be surprised. They're a part of our life. We're not victims. You're not singled out, by the way. Have you ever felt singled out? Like, why is this happening to me? Or, why should I go through this? Well, Good answer might be, why shouldn't you? You know, who are you? Are you are you someone special? Are you some prima donna that should just have a, a nice, easy time? But it's easy for us to start thinking that way. It's easy. Hey, I'm underlining my Bible. <laughs> I'm showing up at church. Shouldn't it go? I shouldn't miss my airplane. I mean, my kids shouldn't get sick. I should have a smooth ride. God, oh, does he owe you anything? Do you want to get what you owe? Do you want to get what you deserve? (laughs) Well, God, don't give me what I deserve. Please pour your grace down upon my life. I know what I deserve. (laughs) Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials. doesn't say whenever you finish. I'll tell you, there was a time as trials would come my way, they'd be be approaching me. I'd say, oh, I don't want them. Or if if they lashed onto me, I'd want to get rid of them as fast as I could. I want to get get them done with and get on with it. And I don't do that anymore. I'm thankful that I finally learned. I'm sad that I didn't learn earlier. But for the most part, when they're coming, I'm able to say, okay, what wonderful thing are you going to show me about yourself now? When a car broke down last week and I was stranded at North Heights with Naomi, I said, oh, my, are you going to give us another car again? Is this this the time that you're going to give us? And he said, no. But... At least that, that was a thought I had, is that he was, he was going to do something different just to show me again how wonderful he is. Well, I was thankful. That car could have broken down when I went to the store, and I went way over to uh, Trader Joe's at night, you know, and, I, and it was uh, a praise time for me to think, thank you, Lord. didn't happen then. And thank you that it happened to me instead of her. (laughs) Yes. I'm thankful for that, too. I would much rather it happened to me than to her.
consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Say many kinds. It's not just one kind. There are many kinds. Why do we have many kinds and not one kind? I'll tell you. You guys or gals that have lifted weights, you know that if you just do one exercise, that may work one set of muscles. You know that exercising is inflicting yourself with artificial pain, isn't it? You're, you're afflicting yourself with pain. You're breaking them down. Yeah. Have you ever noticed when people work out, they don't smile? <laughs> you know. Uh, not with this one, but. Uh, oh, this is fun. Oh. <laughs> now, some, some weirdo bodybuilders, they only work certain parts so they can look good but they may have skinny legs or, or uh, parts that aren't uh, functioning too well, but they look good. But Paul says, or, or James says, that you may be full and complete, lacking in nothing. So God looks for the places where we lack. Isn't that kind of him? You know where I've lacked? because if I get lost I lose my peace when I lose you know I, I can get uh, irritable can you imagine that you <laughs> if I turn right and I'm, I should turn should have turned left and God is saying good he's lost because in order for me to learn peace he tests me and he, takes, he, he looks for situations where he can take away my peace. So I come to a place of frustration and say, God, I don't know you. You are the God of peace. And I'm supposed to come into the peace of God. And I'm a grown man. I should have learned this before. But it's easy for me to lose my peace. And I don't know why. But would you please produce in me the fruit of peace? Love, joy, peace. This is a process, isn't it? It's a process. Say process. Developing character, developing fruit, learning about peace is a process. It takes stress in that area to build it up. In a lot of different areas. And so if I need peace... God takes it away and shows me how much I need it. So I get desperate. Please, God, please show me your peace. Let me come to understand your peace. And through that suffering, I come to a place where I learn who the God of peace is, and I walk in the peace of God. How kind of God. Once I was in seminary, and my roommate said, if Satan wanted to take you out, what would he use? I said, pride. I said, if Satan wants to take you out, what would he use? He said, sex. He took him out. That's how he took him out. So if I'm dealing with pride, what will God do? 
It's the kindness of God that would allow me to go through tests that would humble me. He's not taunting me. He, he wants me to enter into the promised land of my destiny. And so if I see that, anytime I'm criticized now, I'm thankful. Not always. Not, I can't say any time because I can think of times where I haven't. But there are some times when I'm able to say, thank you, God. That really hurt. Thank you that you're using that in me and that you saw that I needed. It doesn't matter who gave it. It doesn't matter if it's right or wrong. It doesn't matter to God. It matters how I respond to it and whether I receive it and say, God, you're using that. Remember when David was criticized unjustly by this man and David, uh, Joab wanted to take his neck off and his head off. Harder to take his neck off, but he, to get his head. And David said, no, maybe God sent him. So I want to respond to situations so that the process, so that I can be perfect and complete, not lacking in anything. I've got a personal trainer. Gabriel is a personal trainer, my son. And I said, what do I do for my knees, uh, Gabriel? I've got bad knees. And he showed me an exercise to do to help build up my knees because right now it's bone on bone. And so he gave me an exercise. You know what? It hurts a little bit. So I haven't been as consistent with it. What do they say? No pain, no gain. What are we surprised about? Some comedian on, uh, came on with a new one. She said, I got a new outlook. No pain, no pain. That's <laughs> so if Satan wanted to bring you down, what would he use? It's probably a good idea to know the areas where we need to be shorn up because those are the areas we can, God's going to be checking us out to see how we're doing and he's going to be testing us. It would be good to know those places and say, God, uh, what are your plans for me these days? Do you got any uh, plans for how you want to deal with me so that I grow? For you know, it says. Say no. no. Paul uses the same word when he's saying, we rejoice in our hope of sharing the glory of God. Hallelujah. Moreover, we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing. See, we know something, knowing that suffering produces steadfastness, and steadfastness, character, and character, hope, and hope does not disappoint us. So it's the same knowing. I know something good's happening here. By the way, exercise profits. It doesn't profit as much as other things. It profits some. Translation could be little or it could be some. I exercise every other day. Today's my day to exercise. I exercise because I want to live a long life, and I don't want anything to cut that short. I don't want misuse of my body to cut 10 years off of ministry possibilities. And so I'd encourage you to, to exercise. It's a process. You know, you do it. You do it consistently. 
So where was I? Come on, somebody help me. Knowing, that's right. What do you know? That something good is being produced. Not immediately, but eventually. Erica and I were planting in our uh, house in California. And uh, I was planting underneath our deck. We had a nice deck, and I was planting a row of flowers, and I was really excited. I got to the end. She was 20. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> she was four. About f I think she was four or five. And I got to the end, and I looked back, and I went, <gasps> Erica. <laughs> That's what she had done. She would pulled out every one of them. <laughs> and they were laid on the deck. And I said, Erica, why did you do that? <laughs> With great restraint. <laughs> and she said, I wanted to see if they were growing. <clears throat> see, that's that instant outlook that we have today. Just impart it to me. Just give it to me quick. This doesn't happen quick. The fruit of the Spirit is a process. Say process. It takes a while, and God's going to work it in us, and he's going to use testing to do it. What a gift testing is. What an opportunity to rejoice in God. My prayer for you tonight is that from now on that God will give you the moving of the Spirit in your heart. When you see a test coming, you'll say, God, whatever you give to me, I want to embrace. If Satan, this is important, if Satan gives it to me, I will resist him and give in to you. Sometimes God uses Satan. God used Satan to give Paul a thorn. So sometimes Satan. So you don't have to wonder or worry if you don't know which one it is. Go after the devil and surrender to God. Resist the devil and uh, respond to the Lord, whichever the case. For you know the testing of your faith, faith produces perseverance. It says endurance. Let me just say a word about this word endurance. Why do we need endurance? That's, that's right. We are running a race, and it's easy, easy not to finish. I'm sad to say this, but some of you probably won't. If we just work on statistics, some of you won't finish the race. I hope it's not you. I hope you finish the race. Paul said, what did he say? I have fought the fight. I have finished. I used to run marathons out in California, and I'd come home afterwards, and my kids would say, did you win? <laughs> and I said, yes, I finished. The point was not to win. I mean, you don't get on starting blocks for a marathon. It's just endurance. It's just hanging in there. When your mind begins to play tricks on you at the 18th or 20th mile, and you're thinking, you start dreaming about a jacuzzi. <laughs> and that's where you want to be. We need endurance. It's, it's, it's the most important end-time quality of Christians. He that endures to the end shall be saved. 
So it's enduring. It's keep on praying. Keep on believing. Keep on opening up to the Lord. Keep on being filled with the Spirit. Keep on responding joyfully in the face of opposition. And let God work those things in you so that you can hit the tape running. I asked my dad just before he died. I said, Dad, you got any unfinished business? Because he was dying of cancer. And he said, no, I, I did what God told me to do. He finished well. He ran a good race and finished strong. I hope you run a good race. Father, I hope my friends here run a good race. I hope they finish strong. I hope that you build in them perseverance, the testing of your faith. Let it work perseverance in them. Let it work endurance, O oh God, so that they are lacking in nothing, so that they have what they need to run a good race. Thank you. Amen. <clears throat> Let steadfastness have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We had one guy who wanted to run with us. He had trained for about a month. And he didn't have 26 miles in him. He just didn't hit any. any he lasted for a, for a few miles, and then he just sat it out. Do you have 26.2 miles in you? Do you, have, do you have what it takes to finish this race? God knows your heart. He knows what you need, and he'll give it to you if your heart is right. He'll give you, he'll give you enough so that you'll have endurance. You'll have strength so you'll run a good race, and you'll finish well. Then he says, in this context, if any man lacks wisdom, he should ask of God. It's in the context of testing that this verse, you can, you can take it and use it in other such settings, but it's primarily used in this setting. Why? Because when you face tests, you sometimes get funny ideas about God. For instance, I was talking to a college group out in California, and we were going around and, and sharing our situation. One girl said, my mom tried to commit suicide, and so I'm having to really help with the family now. And she says... Uh, I guess there's a reason for everything. And I said as gently as I could, you know, there isn't a re good reason for everything, not a good reason. There are other voices in the universe besides God's. And your mom shouldn't have done that, and you shouldn't be in charge of the family. But you can get wrong ideas. A family loses their baby, and someone says, well, maybe God wanted another angel in heaven. And she's angry. She didn't want to hear that. You know, we can say dumb things to people when they're going through terrible times. I'll bet you some of you know that. I'll bet you our friend with the, with the uh, brain tumors had some things said to him that probably uh, could be hurtful. I, I, I would suspect that all of us have had things in, t in difficult times go through some, some things and then have people say the wrong things. That's why we need wisdom. God, what are you doing? And how can, I, how can I respond best to you? In these situations, we need to clarify the picture of two people. One is God and one is ourself. We need a right picture of God and a right picture of ourselves. He goes on in this chapter to say God is really kind. That he, he gives gifts. He loves to lavish gifts upon us. God is generous. God is good. God doesn't taunt us. And so we have to understand that lest we come to a, a, a strange or perverted 
understanding of God and miss what he wants to do in our lives. I'm getting close here. Then I skip down to verse 12. Blessed is he who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. We persevere. God gives us grace to persevere, and then we make it, we run a race, and then he shows us how gracious he is by giving us a crown to wear. Crown speaks of authority. I don't know if that comes only in the next life. I think some authority comes. When we, when we pass a test, we learn something new about God, something new about ourselves, and we have new faith because we've learned something about him that we can apply. We can call out to, to God in a new way. Like when he takes care of our finances, we see him as the one who provides for us. We can say, okay, we call out the name of God, the provider. I want to close now, and I'm going to call the team up to do worship. I want to do worship afterwards because I want our worship to uh, come out of our understanding of affliction. You guys can come up and, and just position yourself here. In times of, of testing and of sorrow, we want to anchor ourselves in the goodness of God. We won't, don't want to disabuse ourselves of an outlook that says God is always good and it only hurts because God is doing something very good in my life. And if it can be accomplished in this way, I'm willing to embrace it and let God be God in my life. We need to upgrade our understanding of the sovereignty of God and his ability to weave things around in a, in a good way. One of my children was coloring once and they brought me the book and they were crying because it had gone outside the lines and you know, you can't erase crayon very well. And so they thought that uh, the picture was ruined and so I said, well just give me a few crayons. And I drew it outside the picture. I'm no artist, but I drew it in such a way that she looked at it and she saw that the picture after all was not ruined. And that, oh my, it's okay, after all. That's what God does in our situations of breaking and sorrow. God is the architect. God takes situations that Satan meant for evil. God uses it for good. That's what Joseph was able to say. He stepped back and he looked at the whole situation. And he saw how remarkably God was bringing redemption to the brothers that he could have hated but he had a, a positive outlook toward them. Would you stand with me? <coughs> I'd encourage you, if you get a chance, to read this book by Matt Redman. He has some wonderful things to say about suffering he experienced a good share of it himself. His wife did. She had several miscarriages. And they wrote 
blessed be the name of the Lord, uh, some days after 9-11, after they they saw devastation in the States, they're from England, and uh, he had difficulties once with his uh, hand, that his hand, uh, he almost lost his hand. He couldn't play the guitar for many, many months, almost lost his hand. But he understands suffering, and so when he wrote that song, he wasn't writing it just as a fancy melody and something that rhymed, but something that he and his wife had walked through, and out of that affliction, God took him higher. Just close your eyes for a moment. Put your hands out like you're receiving a gift. As you're receiving the gift, I just wanted to share (coughs) also as a visual example you saw Judah up here a little bit ago that's our grandson and I'm holding my second grandson Eden and we ourselves um, Paul and I lost a child uh, stillborn full term stillborn before Erica you heard a story about Erica tonight at the time we didn't know that God had a wonderful Erica for us. And Erica gave us, Erica and Drew gave us Judah. And Judah is, has the middle name of the baby we lost, Judah Karsten. And I was just thinking today, knowing that Paul's talking about trials, a lot of you don't know, some of you will be knowing about the joy of having children. And uh, scripture speaks of the labor that, uh, let me see, I, I should say this carefully, you get to go through, right? We just heard about trials. But what happens at the end? This, this whole life, you know, we know, the Lord says, you will have tribulation, but he is greater. God is greater than he that is in the world. Now, the joy is uh, just amazing. You'll never realize what a gift it is that God decided that we should be in families and have children. And all through life, even with this joy, there are going to be trials every day. But he is faithful. God is faithful. So let him heal you today and say yes say yes to what he can do in your hearts hallelujah thank you thank you father we are sorry where we have looked at tests in our life and we responded inappropriately we are sorry just in your own heart acknowledge where you responded inappropriately maybe you've grumbled at God maybe you despised what was sent and you didn't learn from it tell me you want to learn tell me you want to you want to be a good student that you want to learn the things that he wants to teach you God we want to learn well we want to learn we're sorry God that 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 we're too easily uh, fastened on our circumstances Lord Jesus would you come now for those who are particularly discouraged by their situation Would you come and lift up their head? Lord Jesus, come and touch them.
touch them, lift them up. Allow them to, to see you in a new way so that they'll see their circumstances in a new way. So that they won't be as frustrated by their circumstances, but they would see you on the throne. And they could be joyful because they are saying, God is over my circumstances. I am not under them. And that they would have a new trust in your ability to work your good and perfect will. And so that they could laugh the enemies and say, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And God's doing a good thing in my life. And God's allowing me to be built up and to be strengthened for the things that he has ahead for me. Just take a moment to, to, to say something to him that shows your trust in him. And then we're going to worship him. We're going to worship the one who can do it all, who can do everything well. He doesn't taunt us, but he is a good father. He's a wonderful father who trains us. Lord, I pray that you would change any thinking of anyone here tonight that have gotten, they've gotten strange ideas about you or about their situation or about themselves because of what they have gone through. I pray for any victims. I pray that you would heal them tonight of a victim mentality, that they wouldn't feel victimized by their situation. I pray that you be with any who have a spirit of entitlement, that they're entitled to something better simply because who they are. I pray that you release them from those kind of outlooks so that they could put their trust in you. I pray for any new people here. This is their first experience. I pray that you'd especially bless them. Oh, God, release your love to them now in a fresh way as we worship you together. Okay, lift your hearts, lift your hands and pray.